0: I see that you all made it into this uh, nice, warm building from the outside, cold, windy weather. Uh, What a beautiful day it is to worship the Lord inside the house of God, right? Um, You know, just before I begin the message, I just want to say what a privilege it is to have Tina with the Pregnancy Service Center here with us today. And we're just so grateful for the ministry of the Pregnancy Service Center and to celebrate 15 years is awesome. And to hear all those statistics about all the moms and dads and kids that have been advocated for is truly a remarkable thing. And so we are blessed as a church body to be able to have ministry partnerships like PSC. And want to encourage you, if you haven't yet picked up a baby bottle, to do that after the service is over. It's a small thing that we can do, both in terms of giving just some small amounts of money, but also be thinking about, as we see that bottle, the prayers that can be offered for women and children and and even dads that are uh, touched by that ministry. You know, we're blessed to partner in a lot of different great uh, ministry opportunities in our community. I'm excited about the Super Bowl of Hope, that we're going to be collecting cans for the food bank and for other ministries in the city that uh, help uh, work with folks who struggle to have enough means to have a good meal. And, uh, you know, I I think you heard from Patty that we divided the ministry staff up into two different teams again uh, this year, and this year it's kind of a different take on it. We've gone with... uh, Yodas and the Wookiees. Do you guys know what a Wookiee is? Chewbacca from Star Wars is a Wookiee, so the big hairy beast guy. So, so you know, I don't know if you're confused like I was when they made that decision. Are we talking about size? Because, you know, Yoda's this little, little guy, and Chewbacca's this massive hairy beast. Or are we talking about the amount of hair in their body? And the staff told me that's the amount of the hair on the person that matters. And so uh, I am not a Wookiee. I am a Yoda. So, anyway, don't know if that helps you make a decision about who you're going to give to or not. But more importantly, we're just excited about collecting uh, cans of soup and also donations for cans of soup for that ministry. So, again, it's great to be able to partner with what God's doing in our community in Salina. And he's up to a lot of things. And we're very very thankful for these partnerships. So today we're looking at this passage out of Romans chapter 8. And it's the second uh, of a sermon series on a number of messages coming from Romans uh, chapter 8 called the Great Eight. Uh, Many biblical scholars have looked at this chapter of Romans and said, this is the watershed passage of all of Paul's letters, that there's so much in this chapter that speaks to what it means to live life in the Spirit and so many great things to talk about as it relates to that. So in beginning, I want us just to think about uh, life that sometimes we become accustomed to some really wonderful things in our life. And we can take those things for granted. Sometimes we have uh, yearning indifference for those things that can be seen as really crucial to our lives. For example, think about our political freedom. You know, here in the United States, we enjoy the the pleasing taste of democracy and we love our freedom of speech, our freedom of worship, our freedom of press, uh, the freedom of not being afraid of our government. But sometimes after we've lived in the United States for quite a while, we can get used to these freedoms and we can take them for granted. Um, We become complacent. One statistic says that less than 50% of eligible eligible voters actually vote in any election. We take our freedom for granted and we can yawn with indifference uh, that we are free. And the same is true of abundance of good food and clean water. That we have in this area. I mean, we live in the bread basket, bread basket of the world here in Kansas, and we enjoy the abundance of good food, and we rarely have the experience of being hungry and missing a meal, and, and experiencing what much of the world experiences on a daily basis. And then clean water. I mean, clean water comes right out of our taps. We don't have to worry about walking for over a mile to go get clean water from a well. And so. We can become complacent. We can yawn with indifference and and realize that these are things that are crucial and and very blessed to have them. Even this morning, thinking about coming in with the cold weather outside the wind, and we come into such a nice building and a warm building and comfortable chairs, and, and we can become complacent about this very gift that God has given us for ministry. Similarly, in the Christian faith, we hear it so often that we're children of God. We hear that God is our personal Father, and that we are heirs for eternity with eternal life, and that we enjoy the privileges and the pleasures of being a child in God the Father's house. And we hear these truths so often that we can become complacent and indifferent at something that's so crucial to our life. So today, I want I want us to look at our identity in the Spirit, the Spirit of God. Our and I, I see that there are some privileges that come from being a part of God's family that we want to look at. And when we're a part of God's family through faith in Jesus Christ. You see, the Bible teaches that everyone that is born is God's offspring by creation. The Bible teaches us also, though, that the, because of the power of sin in our world, that we are estranged from God. In our natural condition, all of us, the way Paul describes it, are children of Adam, not children of of God, And according to the Bible, it's only when we place our trust in God's son, uh, Jesus, that we move from being a child of Adam to being a child of God. And when we move from being a child of Adam to being a child of God, there's lots of great things that happen in our lives. And one of those things are just the family privileges that we're going to talk about out of Romans chapter 8, starting in verse 12. So if you've got your Bibles, I want to encourage you to go ahead and open them back up to that passage that Bob read just a little bit ago. Romans 8, chapter 12. You've got your phone with your Bible on it. You can do that as well as long as you're looking at your Bible and you're not actually texting. I know nobody texts here in church during service, right? So it's also on the screen behind me. So let's explore some of these privileges. I want to look at verses 12 through 14 first. Paul's speaking at the beginning of this passage about an obligation that we have. Now, at first, an obligation does not sound like a privilege to me. I mean, a privilege is something like getting free tickets to a Royals baseball game. Now, not, not ten years ago. You know, now, that's a privilege. Or getting free tuition to, uh, to college. That would be a privilege. Now, an obligation is more like paying property taxes. You know, I mean, it is the first of the year, and, and taxes are coming up real soon. Just want to encourage you here at the, uh, during the message. And it's hard to think of an obligation as being a privilege, But the point here is that our former obligation is to our old way of life has been completely broken. Okay, the phrase sinful nature literally means the flesh. And throughout Romans, the flesh describes life without Jesus. And it's life again back with Adam, without a relationship with God. And according to our Bible, that's the natural condition. And we're enslaved to sin. And it's this enslavement to sin that obligates us to live life without reference to God, without reference to God's principles for a good life. And we're stuck in that life. We're stuck. And it's like being a person that's in a car, and the battery is dead, and the person keeps turning the ignition, and nothing's happening. That's what it's like when we're stuck in our old life, that sinful life, the life of Adam. But when we trust in God's Son and become followers of Jesus, we're no longer in that old era of the sinful nature, but we're transferred to a whole new era of life in the Spirit, the Spirit of God guiding and leading us. And because of this change in where we belong, we're no longer under the obligation to live our lives to the old era, the old sinful nature. Our obligation to the sinful nature has been broken. Because now we're part of God's kingdom, we're part of God's family, we're joined to God's people, we belong to God's church, the Christian church. And so now we're free. We're free from that old obligation, and we've been given the freedom to live into this new life, a new way. In verse 14, Paul describes that Christians are described as children of God. The word here doesn't mean a young child, but rather an adult child and all the rights and privileges that come with being an adult child in a family. So when we trust in God's son, we become part of God's family, joined with God, our father, and entrusted the rights and the privileges of adult children. Now, children of Adam in that old life will ultimately experience death, eternal separation from God. That's the death that's mentioned in verse 13. And it's the inevitable result of being a child of Adam, a person who belongs to the old era of the sinful nature. And people who are children of Adam have no choice but to live according to the sinful life. But when we become God's adult children through faith in Christ, we're promised a new life in his spirit. And this life isn't just the future life in heaven. It is that, but it's also an amazing life right now, today, a rich, abundant life. A satisfying life, walking with God today. This is God's kingdom, life in the presence. And being led by the Spirit in this section isn't so much talking about specific acts of guidance as it's talking about the direction of our life, being shaped by God's Spirit. And every follower of, of Jesus is, by definition, led by God's Spirit in the sense that, that his or her life is determined now by, by God's Spirit. God's Spirit gently and it constantly prods us forward into God's direction and His purpose in our life and what He wants for us. Paul Akdemeyer says to be led by God's Spirit means to have changed our future from death to life. To change our relationship to God from rebellion to obedience and to have changed our status from rebellious enemy to a child of God, a beloved child of God. So here we find the first privilege when we're we're living this life in the Spirit. When we become children in God's family, God gives us the privilege of forward progress. He's got a plan and He's got a purpose. And our our lives are being led by the Spirit towards that plan. So we're being led by God's Spirit. We can experience steady progress toward our future with God, a transformation into Christ-likeness, literally. And we're no longer under that old obligation to the old sinful nature and the death that comes with it. No, when we put our trust in Christ, we're led by His Spirit. And the Spirit helps us to put to death that old sinful nature. And we are one time we were stuck and we were dead in our sinful nature, but through the Spirit of Christ and in us and leading us, we're propelled by the Spirit of God into a totally new life and a new identity as a child of God. Isn't that amazing to think about how we have this new identity in Christ and His Spirit is the one who's bringing that about in our life? I want us to look at verse 15 in this passage. The the moment we trusted Jesus Christ and we became His follower, we received God's Spirit. Last week, uh, Doug talked to us about uh, if a person doesn't have God's Spirit living inside, that person's not yet a genuine believer of Jesus, a follower of Jesus. But here we find God's Spirit is called the spirit of adoption. So when we trust in God's Son, God's Spirit brings us into the experience of adoption, where we become adopted as God's sons and as God's daughters into God's family. Now, adoption means literally to receive a person who's not a child of your family, to receive that person and to legally make them a child of your family with all the rights and all the privileges that go along with that. Now, in the ancient Roman world, when Paul was writing this letter, there were unwanted children, often were routinely abandoned or were sold into slavery. Sadly, there's still the same kind of realities that take place in different parts of our world, even still in our country today, where families are crushed by poverty and maybe they abandon infants they cannot afford to raise or they sell children into slavery of child labor or child prostitution. In more positive cases, both then and now, parents might give their children up for adoption with the hope of offering them a future for an opportunity for a better life, a more hopeful future. Again, that's one of the things I love about PSC. I mean, one of their things they're talking to parents about is there's other options other than abortion. There is an option of, of, of adoption if, if you don't feel like you're ready or capable or have the means to raise a child. Well, Roman society, they placed a really high value, even more of a high value than we do in terms of producing offspring and heirs. Because when you had an offspring, you had an heir. And so a childless couple during that time uh, were often eager to adopt because they wanted to be able to have heirs in their family. And under Roman law, much like our law today, uh, adopted children have the same legal rights and the inheritance as biological children do. So Paul is writing to the church of Rome, and he says to them in verse 15, he says, For you did not receive a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received a spirit of adoption. Paul's assuring the readers that although we struggle in a world of sin and death, we've not been abandoned to lives of slavery and fear. Christ, in Christ, God has adopted us as his very own children and as his heirs. And because of that adoption, we can cry out, Abba, Father, is what Paul's saying. Now, Abba is not a word we use very often in our language. You you know, we'd hardly ever use it. But Abba is the Aramaic word for father, only it was a very familiar word for father. It'd be like one of our children who's six or seven coming up and saying, Daddy. That's what Abba means, Daddy or Dad. And so it's a very familiar term. And. And this, this is the term that Jesus himself uses in the New Testament when he's praying to God. He says, Abba, Father, in the garden. And, and by giving us the same title, Abba, Jesus is sharing his relationship with the Father with us so that we can approach God with the same kind of familiarity and intimacy the eternal God has. Isn't that amazing? That we can address God the same way that his own son Jesus addresses him. So here's the second privilege we see in this passage. When we live life in the Spirit, when we become children in God's family, God gives us the privilege of intimacy. Through the gift of His Spirit, we move from being children of Adam to being adopted children of God. We no longer live in fear of judgment because we can address God with the same address that Jesus gives to God. Before we were welcomed into God's family through Jesus, Our lives oftentimes were characterized by fear or uncertainty. But when we're welcome into God's family through faith in Jesus, our adoption replaces our fear. We're welcomed. We're safe. We're secure in God. Our adoption makes us secure so we can enjoy intimacy with our Abba, with our father, with our dad. When John F. Kennedy became president of the United States a number of years ago, it had been a long time since a president had been in the White House who had really young children. And if you or I were to try to make an appointment with the president, you know, all the red tape we'd have to go through to make that happen. I mean, I can't even imagine all those contacts we'd have to make, all the things we'd have to fill out, all the security we'd have to go through. And then eventually we'd even have to make an appointment through the chief of staff and probably through the president's secretary. But there was an observation made that when John Kennedy's children were in the White House, that that their especially their young son would often burst through the doors of the Oval Office, and he would just cry out, "Hi, Daddy!" and he'd come and run, and he'd jump up on his on his dad's lap in the Oval Office behind the desk, John Kennedy. That's the same kind of picture that Paul's painting for us in this passage. That that we literally have the same opportunity to to be with God, our Father, to enjoy time with Him, to spend time with Him, and just be together. So when we trust in God's Son and we're led by the Spirit, we receive the wonderful privilege of intimacy with God. But along with intimacy, I want to look at another privilege that we receive in verse 16. Let's look at 16. It says, The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. So along with the Spirit leading us, the Spirit of adoption, God's Spirit is also testifying to us that we really are God's children. Our spirit, that he describes in that verse, is, is our internal kind of person or ourself, who we are on the inside. And in the core of our inner person, God's spirit gives us a sense of assurance that we really are God's child. And that inner testimony isn't something that comes from ourselves or even from other people. It's something that comes from God. It goes beyond our rational thinking about God, beyond the sermons that we hear. beyond It goes into the, and pierces literally into the core of of our inner being through the presence of the Holy Spirit speaking to us. It's this inner witness of the Holy Spirit is given to every single follower of Jesus Christ. If the Spirit of God lives in us, then the Spirit of God will give us this assurance. This is a promise for every follower of Jesus Christ, not just for a few, but for every one of us who trust in Christ. And here's the third privilege of life in the Spirit. When we become children in God's family... God gives us the privilege of assurance. We know that we know that we know that we are a child of God. Not because my wife told me or my parent told me or my pastor told me. We know because God's spirit fills us with the assurance in the core of who we are. Now, we might still struggle with doubts or with questions, but at the core of who we are, we know because of the presence of God's spirit in us. I think about a scene from the Disney movie, uh, The Lion King. Uh, Simba, if you don't know or don't remember, Simba is a young lion, and he runs away from his responsibilities as being the king of the kingdom. And one night, while he's way away from the kingdom, his father comes to him in a vision through the clouds, and he speaks to him, and he says, Simba, you've forgotten who you are. And I had to use the James Earl Jones voice. You know, that's who spoke for Mufasa, right? Simba. You've forgotten who you are. Do you remember that part in the movie? And Simba, of course, says, Father, I could never forget you. And his dad responds by saying, you've forgotten who you are. You've forgotten that you're my child, and therefore you've forgotten me. How often as Christians we forget who we are. We get so busy and frantic living life that we miss those Very, just just those opportunities, quiet, still opportunities to allow God to be present to us and to speak to us. We pass those moments by and we forget God by forgetting who we are as God's children, accepted and adopted through faith in Jesus. So God gives us the privilege of assurance through his spirit. And then I want to look at the final verse and a final privilege in verse 17. Verse 17 says, now, if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we share in his sufferings, in order that we may also share in his glory. Paul follows logic in this passage. He says, hey, if we're adopted with the rights of adult children in God's family, then that makes us heirs. We're heirs with, with, of God. We're co-heirs with Jesus, his son. Now, in the Old Testament, the inheritance of uh, God to Israel um, was the land of Palestine. It was the promised land that was given to them. And, And all the tribes were divided up, and each tribe was given a portion of the promised land as their inheritance, except for one tribe, the tribe of the Levites. And that's the tribe where the priests came from, and there was no land given to the Levites. Instead, God said in his scripture, the Lord is Levi's inheritance. The same imagery is now available to us. It's applied to us as God's children. That God himself is our inheritance. So although this is using kind of this imagery of someone dying and leaving us in a state in their will, it's not as if God's going to die and leave us in charge, right? The idea is, is that God shares who he is with us. That God himself is our inheritance. But the path to receiving our inheritance isn't someone's death. Right. People don't have to die for us to receive that inheritance. That's already been accomplished. Jesus has died the one death for all so that all might become children of God. But we also are told in this passage, the path to glory or to that inheritance is also a path of suffering. The emphasis of the Bible is that the suffering is the path to glory. And that was true for Jesus himself, who took on himself a road of suffering to be glorified as the savior of of the world and the Lord of the universe. And it's true for us as well. If we're going to be co-heirs with Christ in the inheritance, we also have to be co-heirs with Christ in suffering with him. And suffering here refers to even things like daily anxiety, the stress that we feel at times, the, the tension, the, the hard relationships, uh, even things, you know, in certain parts of the world, there's still persecution that goes on for Christians in the, in the church. And it all comes to us because we belong to Jesus. And we sometimes forget about this pathway of suffering that Jesus talks about for his followers. But it's a law in God's kingdom that the path to glory is a path of suffering. And yet the path of suffering does lead to glory ultimately. And so here we find the final privilege when we become uh, children of God. We're led by his spirit that God gives us the privilege of a hopeful future. God has written us into his will As his heirs. And even though God will never die, he invites us to share in his own future as God. The glory God himself has by nature, God wants to share that with us by grace. The glory indeed is a bright future ahead of us, a future of intimacy with God, a future that's characterized by forever being a part of his family. That's some good stuff. And we have access to Christ. Uh, to, we have access through Christ all these promises that come from being a part of God's family. All the, all the blessings that come from the Father, right? All the inheritance from the Father. We have all these things through Christ in the Spirit. And we are joint heirs with Christ. I mean, it's not like Christ gets everything and we get like a tenth. We're, we're called in this passage as being joint heirs. All that Christ has is available to us. We are children of God. We're born again, we're adopted, and we're made heirs with Christ Jesus. And that inheritance is offered to us. It's not forced, but it's offered to us. And God, God calls us with his gracious love to claim our inheritance. But the sad truth is, too many people don't claim the inheritance that God offers, they reject it. They, you know, you can refuse the offer that God gives, you can refuse the inheritance. You can refuse it or you can claim it. I just want to end the message with a story that I read this week that I think really kind of summarizes what Paul's getting at in this passage and what I've been talking about. Fred Craddock, uh, we're told in the story, had gone to Tennessee, to Gatlinburg, Tennessee. He went on a vacation with his wife, and uh, they had, uh, uh, during the day, they'd had a pretty busy day kind of seeing the sights. But at night they came to a really small, quaint restaurant, And they decided to have a really nice, just a quiet, private dinner at this restaurant. And so while they're waiting for a meal at their table, they noticed that there was an an older, distinguished, white-haired gentleman that was kind of moving around table to table and greeting all the guests in the restaurant. And Craddock whispered to his wife, he said, I hope he doesn't come over here. You see, he, he didn't want the man to intrude on their privacy. And then sure enough, the man came over to their table and he said, where are you folks from? And the Craddock said, Oklahoma. He said, ah, splendid state, I hear. I've never been there myself. And then he asked, what do you do for a living? And Craddock responded, I teach homiletics at Phillips uh, University, the seminary at that university. And he said, oh, so you teach preachers, do you? He says, well, I got a story for you to tell you. And then he pulls up a chair and he sits down at their table. You know, kind of the worst fear of Fred Craddock. You know, he didn't even want him to greet him. Now he's sitting down and having a meal with them. And so he kind of inwardly thinks, oh, no, here comes another story about a preacher. And the man sticks out his hand. He says, hi, I'm Ben Hooper. And he said, I'm not I was born not far from here, just over the mountains. And my mother wasn't married when I was born. So I kind of had a tough life growing up. Uh, when I started to school, my classmates had a name for me and it wasn't a very nice name. And I used to go off by myself at recess and at lunchtime because the taunts of my classmates, their biting remarks, they they cut so deeply, so I kind of remained isolated as a kid. And what was worse was going downtown on a Saturday afternoon and feeling every eye burning a hole through me. They were all wondering just who, who was my father. When I was about 12 years old, a, a new preacher came to our church. I would go to church, but I'd go in late and I'd leave early so that I didn't have to really look at people or have people look at me or or listen to whispers that they were talking about me. But one day the preacher said the benediction really fast, and I got caught. I had to wait with the rest of the crowd and walk out with them. And I got to the back door of the church, and I felt a big hand come over my shoulder. And I turned around, and I looked up, and the preacher was looking at me. And he said, son, who are you? Whose boy are you? And I felt the old weight come on me. It was like a black cloud. Even the preacher was putting me down. But as he looked down at me and studying my face, he began to smile. And it was a big smile of recognition. Wait a minute, he said. I know who you are. I can see the resemblance now. You're a son of God. And with that, he slapped me on the backside and he sent me out the door. And he said, boy, you've got a great inheritance. Go and claim it. And then he looked over at the craddocks after he told them the story. And he said, that was the most... Important single statement that anybody ever said to me in my lifetime. And with that, he smiled and he shook the hands with the Craddocks and he moved on to the other tables, began to greet other guests. And then suddenly Fred Craddock remembered. He remembered that on two occasions, the people of Tennessee had elected a boy who was born out of wedlock to be their governor, and his name was Ben Hooper. The choice is yours. You can reject the inheritance and walk away. Or you can accept it and claim it as your very own. Brothers and sisters, beloved, I want to encourage you. In the Spirit of God, you are a joint heir of Christ. You are adopted legally. You are born literally into the family of God. You are sons and daughters of the King of kings, of the living God. So you are joint heirs in the Spirit with Christ. Go and claim your identity in the Spirit. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this passage that comes to us through Paul. And more than that, God, we thank you for your love that's demonstrated that while we were far away from you and in our own sin and rebellious and lost and didn't even know what was up or what what was wrong, that, God, you loved us so much that you sent your son and that your son was willing to die for us and raised from the dead. And all this was accomplished so that we might be encouraged, we might be invited to return, to become your children in and through Christ. And God, we thank you that when we have faith in Christ, that you give us the gift of your presence through the Holy Spirit and that your spirit is leading us leading us to claim that inheritance that we have as your child, an inheritance that means that you love us and you care for us, that all that you give to your son Jesus, you give to us as well. God, help us to live into that inheritance, to claim your right, the right you give us to be your child, and to live honorably for you as your children. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.